Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Hand Up, the podcast aimed at adding value to your Habitat for Humanity affiliate. I am your host, Ryan Willoughby, and today's guest is a special one, Mr. Tom Rogers. Tom is a former board member of Habitat Georgia and a professor emeritus at the Department of Financial Planning, Housing, and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia. Tom was critical in starting the Georgia Initiative for Community Housing, and he continues to be one of the preeminent thought leaders in the state on the issue of housing affordability. So sit back and relax. You're not going to want to miss this. Well, good morning, Tom. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing real well, my friend. Doing real well. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on here with us today. Happy to well, I'll tell you, for folks who maybe don't know you, Tom, um, you were one of our initial board members when I joined Habitat for Humanity of Georgia, and you were a real mentor to me. So I I really appreciate the fact that, you know, even though you've moved on from our board, that you're willing to take the time and sit down and chat with us. Happy to. Well, uh, so Tom, you know, it's so funny to me because at least in my travels and people I interact with, I find your name popping up all over the place. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I feel like I go so many places and they, they tell me about uh, Tom Rogers and everything that he's done for housing in Georgia. And I would just like to, to ask, you know, for folks who maybe haven't met you or don't know you, can you just uh, introduce yourself to us? Tell us who Tom Rogers is. Yeah. uh, I'm retired from the university of Georgia. I've been retired for probably about 10 years and, uh, my experience with the University of Georgia was all public service and outreach, uh, 4-H program for a number of years, and then supervised county agents for five or six years. And and I ended up, uh, before I retired, um, I ended up in the College of Family and Consumer Sciences as the associate dean for outreach and extension for them. And uh, through several different happenstances, uh, those two things blended together. One of my responsibilities with family and consumer sciences was housing. And I had, I was already, I'd already been on the Athens Habitat Board for probably six or eight years prior to that time. And so uh, they just came together. Housing just seemed to, uh, to come upon me. And I've enjoyed it thoroughly and I felt really good about uh, trying to make a contribution to to help people with affordable housing. Well, I would say, Tom, that no doubt about it, you have made a contribution. I mean, um, besides sitting on the Habitat boards, and I know that you've helped out several Habitat. For example, I remember when you were on on uh, our board, you know, right as I came on, you were helping to uh, help a fam- uh, an affiliate transition to close out. Um, and, you know, making sure to take care of their assets and everything. So I know that you've done a lot for housing in Georgia. And I think one of the biggest things probably that maybe listeners here would be most familiar with is your, your role with GIC, with the Georgia Initiative for Community Housing. Can you just uh, talk about that a little bit? GIC, like a, a lot of things that have happened to me over the years, uh, was kind of a another happenstance. Uh, I was in the College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the time, and I had been pretty active in uh, economic development uh, through Department of Community Affairs and through Industry and Trade and several other organizations. And uh, through that, I 
got to know the people at GMA pretty well. And they invited me to, uh, to a housing conference where five uh, Georgia communities had been identified and asked to, uh, to put teams together. And this was a national uh, League of Cities uh, effort. And I, they asked me to help staff it and I did that. We met, I don't know, four or five times, I guess, with those cities. And uh, when it was over, it was over and that was the problem. So Bill Thornton, who was the assistant director of uh, Georgia Municipal Association uh, said, you know, why don't we replicate that for Georgia? And so we, uh, we put together a group of Georgia Municipal Association, myself and Department of Community Affairs. And uh, we had to have a sponsorship and found Georgia Power was willing to, uh, to get us started. And then some other sponsors came on, but that's how really how GIT got started. It was trying to replicate what the National League of Cities was doing and trying to make it a little bit better. And I think we were very successful. Uh, I enjoyed uh, that team. Uh, it, was, it was good professionals. They were all very dedicated. And to my knowledge, the GIT program is still going along very well and it's still very strong. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, um, it's interesting to me to see year after year how the number of Git communities continue to grow and how you have so many communities vying for the opportunity to be a part of that program because Git's been going on. When did you guys found it? Gosh, I, I'm not very good on dates, Ryan. But <laughs> okay. It's really been a number of years, and that was one thing that kind of concerned us. We, we thought it might run the course, you know, after – 30 or 40 communities uh, were involved. We thought possibly it would run its course and we just kind of let it go away, but uh, hadn't, hadn't been possible to let it go away. <laughs> well, yeah, I, like I said, it, it's so funny to me. I, I mean, I, I, I have affiliates who reach out quite a bit because they have, you know, multiple municipalities in their counties and their GSAs. And um, they're like, oh, you know, our, our city's reaching out to us because they've heard about this thing called GIC and they really want to be a part of it. And it seems like there are more and more cities, you know, every year just vying to be a part of that. So I, I, I think that's a good thing on one hand. Um, you know, on the other hand, it's it's a shame that we still have some of the housing issues we have in Georgia. But, you know, you mentioned earlier the successes of the GIT communities. And, man, they are varied. Can you, um, you know, maybe break down for people like some of the successes that you saw during your time working with GIT? I mean, I imagine, I imagine there's a lot. But. It's hard to think about individual uh, towns. but. Uh, one of the things that I always like to see, and particularly the rural communities, and I'm, I grew up in, in rural Georgia, and I consider myself to be a rural uh, person. Uh, the rural communities really dealt with dilapidated substandard housing and uh, getting, uh, getting the dilapidated houses removed and then trying to replace them with, with, uh, safe, decent, affordable housing. And a number of communities were very successful with that. I thought about a, a small community, uh, Sandersville uh, did, a, did a good job of that. I can't remember that was like 60 uh, dilapidated houses that they were able to remove uh, that the city was. And those, 
Meta Georgia was particularly strong. It's just, it's hard to identify any one. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know, what what do you, because I want to lead this into a leadership kind of thought here, because you you got my my brain kind of turning. So what, what did you notice about the successful cities, the cities that did really well with GIC? What were the kind of um, commonalities that you saw that they all seem to have? Very simple. The right people sitting at the table. And that's, uh, that's something that we would help them identify uh, in, the, in the approval process. Uh, they'd have to commit to us to have the people at the table that we thought uh, would be necessary. Not that we knew in every case uh, who the right people were for that community, but we knew who, we generally knew the players. And Georgia Municipal Association knew them very well, but getting the right people at the table and then uh, them taking the effort seriously and, and being willing to put in the time and the effort. And we required uh, the city, and in some cases the county that involved in GIC, to pay for the expenses of their participants, the hotel room and for their travel. So that was, that was some commitment, and they had to make that commitment uh, before, before the approval process. But basically having the right people at the table and those people being motivated, if you get that done, uh, you can accomplish a heck of a lot. Wow. That's, um, that's interesting. I, it, it almost, <laughs> it's kind of funny as you were saying that it made me think of like, almost like sweat equity, right. From habitat land, um, having people have some buy-in to the, to the whole process. And you, you said there that having the right people and having them motivated, um, what, what did you find was typically the motivation from these individuals wanting to to be a part of GIC and to to make a difference in the housing sector? I think pride and love of their community. You know, the other thing that it took is uh, the city had to be pretty pretty strongly behind it, or the county if it was a county commission, and that would include the mayor and some council members, and you know they would they would have to be behind it because that's where the funding would come from. But uh, it, that, that was where the successes that I saw, that's what it boiled down to. Well, so I'd like to ask kind of the corollary of that. And, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. Certainly you don't have to, to name anybody. If you want to just avoid this question, Tom, by all means, tell me, what about the, what about the, the failures that you saw? And maybe failures isn't the best way to put it, but the, the, uh, miss potential or the, you know, what could have been successes, but for some reason they weren't. I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, comes down to leadership too, <laughs> leadership and, and, uh, commitment to the process. And, and we had, you know, we had some failures. It, uh, I don't know if we had any absolute, we probably had an absolute failure too. We had some communities that really didn't have the capacity, you know, they just didn't, uh, they didn't have the resources that were necessary, even though it doesn't take very many resources, but, but we had some very small communities with, without much, uh, with very, very few resources. They had the want to, but they just didn't have the capacity to carry it out. Right. So, but, but it sounds like nine times out of 10, it wasn't even the resources. It was really just that, that matter of leadership. You said it's kind of, yeah. And I'd love to talk about that because that's, you know, the, the podcast 
is aimed at habitat leaders and we talk a lot about leadership. What are some of those characteristics that you saw in the successful leaders at the municipal level or in the community level there with GIC? What, what, what kind of things did they have that, that said, hey, this is the right person? This is somebody who really wants to get it done. What what we wanted on the GIC teams were, were people that were knowledgeable, who knew their communities. And I and mean by that, that they, they knew their community from a physical standpoint. You know, they had some, some knowledge of housing or they had some uh, access to knowledge of housing, but that they also love their community. And that generally comes out pretty strongly. Uh, if, a, if, you, if you can get a team member that loves their community and has the knowledge and the capacity to, uh, to carry it out, then, then you're going to be successful. One of the things we, we had a, we required, we generally identified the people that we wanted on, on the, on the committee. We wanted someone from law enforcement so that we take care of code enforcement, which was incredibly important for most and uh, we wanted someone that could get after the finances if there were finances uh and we also wanted someone from the from either the county commission or the city and sometimes both and, and a lot of times it'd be a council person or a county commissioner or it might be the mayor uh that that's very active we always required uh, the habitat executive director or a board member to be on that because we knew that uh, if they were going to be successful, Habitat needed to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I, I didn't realize that last bit there. I didn't know you required us. I, I, I talked with so many executive directors who had been on the team. I didn't realize that it was required. I love the fact, though, that you guys recognize the power of Habitat and uh, were able to have us at the table, right? We, the other thing we did, Ryan, to, uh, to get after the leadership is, I don't know if they're still doing it. I suspect they are. Once we had all the applications in, we made site visits uh, to, to every site, and we sat down with uh, with who they had identified already as team members. And in in most cases, we suggested additional team members. You know, we'd look around and we'd say, "So and so is not at the table. What about that?" And they'd say, "Well, we just we hadn't thought about that." And they would also take us on a take us on a tour of the of the area to show us what they what they thought the problems were and and what they uh what they thought they could do in the way of solutions and you know not to diverge off the leadership path i want to come back to this because i have some you you've piqued my interest with some other questions but i have to ask as you were going through communities you mentioned a few times now like blight and the dilapidated housing were, were you seeing a lot of the similarities? You know, you go from one community to another, it's just kind of the same housing issues over and over again, or were they really unique to the area? What, what were you seeing a lot of? I was trying to think in my head of what percentage I would say. I'd say 75% or more uh, dilapidated substandard housing was was an issue. We had uh, some other... Uh, times i can remember i can't remember which community it was but they had a they had a hospital an old hospital that had been abandoned that they wanted to focus on as a community center and then we had uh we had another community uh that had an old mill 
that they wanted to, that they were interested in rehabbing into condominiums. So it wasn't always a substandard dilapidated housing, but I'd say at least three quarters of the time, that was probably the chief problem. Right. Well, that, you know, uh, just based on anecdotal, I know you, you say you consider yourself a rural guy. I do as well and travel through rural Georgia all the time that, you know, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, right? You're driving through someplace and there's just, there's shacks, right? Um, which makes me think of, you know, Miller wrote that book, No More Shacks. And I hate to see, particularly in rural Georgia, there's still a lot of shacks out there. Um, it's, it, it just breaks my heart. Um, and, and so I'd like to back up on the leadership thing here, because, you know, Tom, you've, besides the work you've done with GIC, I mean, you've been in so many other arenas as well in a leadership role. And I'd be kind of curious to know for you as a leader, um, what are some of the, maybe the biggest successes that you say you would have in, in your career or in your different leadership roles, like the things that you did that you're like, wow, that really turned out great. And I'm really happy with that. Whether it was within Habitat or Kick or, you know, if you said you're board member at Family Promise there in Athens, uh, where, where are the, some of the times where you've really seen some success for your efforts? One of one of the successes related to housing that I have a, a great deal of pride in is uh, one of the professors in in family and consumer science at the time was a lady by the name of Ann Sweeney, who was an incredible housing expert, and she had in the college already a housing and demographic research center, which was like one of 13 in the nation, but it wasn't very active. And so she she and I were talking one day and she said, you know, can I take advantage of your knowledge of the state and agencies and let's beef it up and, and get the Housing Demographic Research Center going again. And we were able to do that. And, and they are now, along with, uh, Georgia Municipal Association and DCA and some other organizations. They're one of the prime sponsors uh, behind the GIC programs. So I, I take a lot of pride in that. And several years ago, um, I was approached to uh, come on the board of an organization called Interfaith Hospitality, which is a housing program. Uh, for, I call it a housing program. It's a program for the homeless, but that's the whole idea is to help the, the homeless family uh, find a job so that they have the resources to, to find affordable housing. Uh, so, so it appealed to me, but at the time I was pretty involved with my, with my paying occupation. And also I, I was already on the Habitat board. And once I retired, they came to me again and I, I, decided that I would serve on the board for them. And one of the things that I'm very proud of in the last several years is the partnership between Interfaith Hospitality, which is now Family Promise, and Habitat for Humanity. We, uh, Athens Habitat, Ryan, as you know, in addition to building affordable homes, uh, we've developed affordable apartments. Uh, and uh, through the Habitat board, I was able to get them to dedicate one of those apartments to to uh, Family Promise so that 
we'd be able to move a family out and they pay the same price as everyone else, but, but Habitat sits one side and, and really exciting right now is we've just committed, Family Promise Board has just committed to, to Habitat Athens to develop two more units uh, just exclusively uh, for the use of Family Promise. And the way we're doing that is we're paying uh, for the materials. And we've, we've arrived at a price that uh, Habitat is, is uh, accepted and the units are gonna to belong to Habitat because we've made the decision that we don't need to get into the business of managing apartments. We don't have the capacity to do that. Excuse me, sorry. Should I uh, we don't have the capacity, nor do we have the business in managing, managing apartments and that's Habitat's thing. So, so the units are gonna remain theirs. You know, they own it. They're just gonna dedicate them to us uh, as long as we need them. And then of course, if we no longer needed them, they'd go back into their, their housing stock. And the other partnership, <laughs> uh, we at the time were paying $150 a month for storage uh, for, for uh, furniture. And our families always need furniture when they move into an apartment. And, but that was, you know, $150 a month adds up pretty quickly. And so I, I suggested that we talk to Habitat about a partnership and that's what we have now. And when people call us to donate furniture, we get them in touch with the ReStore. And then when our, when our families get ready to move out, they go to the ReStore uh, to, to get their furniture. And that's, that saved us some money and uh, just gives the gives our homeowners some choice, you know, when they go to choose furniture, and it's just worked out incredibly well. That that is fantastic. That you know, all, all three of those examples, the word that kind of was popping in my mind as you're talking about them, because you talked about the the research institute being one of thirteen in the nation. So you know, not a lot of that going on at the time when you when you joined. Um, then the housing there between Family Promise and, and Habitat, and then, of course, now the, the Restore Partnership there. The word that kept popping into my mind, Tom, was innovation. It sounds like a big part of your leadership and the projects you've been involved with have been pretty innovative, would you say? I'd, I'd say the, hab, the Habitat, Athens Habitat, is most one of the most innovative and entrepreneurial uh programs I've never I've ever been involved in and I and nothing in my career uh that I've that I've ever done have I been more proud than uh Athens Habitat and I've I've played a very small role I've been on their board a long time but we uh we're fortunate to have an incredible executive director uh that has the right vision and we and we have good board members we have board members that that attend you know, and care. And when there's a, a job to be done, they step up and do it. We, we, um, we had a lady on our board, uh, for years and years and she was wonderful. And she, she was basically our family selection person and she did it really on her own. And, you know, after 15 years or so, she was burned out. And, uh, so one, one board meeting, uh, 
Spencer said, you know, we need, we need a team to do family selection. And three of us stepped up and, and we do it, you know, I mean, we go make the home visits and we're involved with the staff on the, on the selection process. And, and that's, that's typical of, of our board membership. They, if there's a job to be done, uh, people will step in and do it. And we have, we're fortunate enough to have some very, very capable uh, board members. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I mean, cause what, what it sounds like you're saying, you're really tying that innovation to the leadership. You know, they, they really kind of go hand in hand. Would you say, I mean, that's, it sounds like you got, in order to have the innovation, you've got to have, again, good leadership, people who are willing to yeah. put the work in. And, yeah. and you gotta, you gotta have vision. You know, I, we, uh, Spencer, uh, our executive director, uh, it, he has incredible vision and, uh, he's come to the board at times before, you know, and, and he's a smart, he's figured out how to do it. He'll, he'll bring some bold proposal before us and we'll, the board will say, well, you know, that's great, but man, we can't afford that. Or that's too big a, too big a thing for us to bite off. And, but then eventually, uh, we begin to see it, you know, we begin to see the vision and, uh, and we've taken some big chances, uh, but that I think that's part of leadership too is, is being being cap being capable, but also being willing to uh, take a risk and to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Wow, that that's awesome! I I gotta say, Tom, I'm kind of you can't see my face, but I'm kind of smiling from ear to ear here um, when you start talking about vision and the need of having that, um, you know, cause that, that is one of the things I kind of associate with Spencer as well is, you know, he's one of those guys who, even though he's been there for a long time, he, he never allows himself to really go stagnant. You know, he's always got something else going on and, um, it sounds like the board cultivates that. And, and it really does come down to that matter of having vision, like an, an idea that, you know, you, you don't want to keep things the same. You're always moving forward. Um, so, would you mind just unpacking a little bit more about this this matter of vision? Because I think it's really critical for Habitat affiliates. One one of the one of the things that I think helps with vision is to be aware of where you are, and and I like to be aware of where our housing stock is and what the issues are in housing in in our community. And I've looked the other day at some uh, Department of Labor data, and we have about 10,000 jobs in Athens, Georgia, that are in the category of leisure and hospitality. A large number of those jobs do not carry benefits. Many of those jobs are not 40-hour jobs. And generally, uh, they don't pay any more than about $2,000 a month. And if you looked at that, and, and that was their household income, they could afford to pay $468 uh, or so for apartments. And we don't have any apartments like that. You know, because of the students that we have, an apartment in Athens, if you find an apartment for $750, you've done a really good job. And some of the, some of the Habitat families that we uh, visit with, uh, for family selection, 
are paying $900 a month for rent, you know, and utilities are on top of that. And those, if we can make people aware of the need, uh, I think, I think the vision can come, but it, you gotta, you gotta have an appreciation for, for the need for housing and the need for, of hardworking individuals that, that really can't afford safe, decent, affordable housing. Yeah. Wow. That's, that, I, I got to say, you throwing out the specific numbers there, it's just remarkable to me to think of somebody, you know, they can afford this, but they're paying twice that for an apartment. I mean, it really kind of demonstrates just how critical, like you said, the need is. Yeah. And that's uh, the beauty of, of Habitat Athens being involved in the rental business. I, I think we're, we're now, I think we have over 30 units that we rent. And I don't think we rent anything over $400 a month. We have, I think it starts at $250 and go, a lot of them are $350 and $400. They aren't, you know, they, they're like habitat housing. They aren't fancy, but by George, they're clean and they're decent and they're warm and they're cool. And, you know, they serve the need. Yeah, well, and, you know, what I love about it, what you guys do, with the rental properties is that you're, you're putting people in there, like you said, at an affordable rate. And because they're in there at an affordable rate, you're giving them the stability they need to be able to save up for a down payment on a house and to, to get maybe the services they need to understand, you know, home ownership training and that sort of thing. So you're putting them in a position where they can succeed and grow. Right. Um, you know, it's not just, we're going to give you a cheap apartment kind of thing. And I, I really think that's awesome. Because to me, that shows that vision is, you know, putting people in a position where they can actually move forward. Because if you're paying twice what your rent is, how, how are you ever going to get ahead with it? Never get ahead. Yeah. You're, let, me give, let me give you an example. And I'm, I'm really proud of this. Uh, we, we had a family promise uh, lady who moved into our first, the, the first Habitat apartment that I talked about the, first one that we were able to get dedicated to family promise uh, she's a single mama with a I think either one or two children I can't remember which uh, but she she was she was successful in the program she found a job and she could afford the habitat rental and we approved her the other day for home ownership all the way from homelessness homelessness to home ownership wow that's where you want to go, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, that's doesn't get any better than that. No, it doesn't. I mean, that's, that's taking somebody who's at their, I think it would be fair to say their lowest point, right? I mean, when you're, oh, yeah. when you're homeless, I mean, you, you know, you have hit rock bottom at that point, almost literally. And um, to move them into home ownership where they're going to be able to build wealth and they're going to be able to have a stable place to stay that they can afford and, you know, raise their family there. I don't know if this particular person has any children or anything like that, but um, man, that's, that's awesome. I mean, to take somebody that far, you know? So I have to ask this question now because it, you, you've got me just kind of really excited about vision and leadership and all of these different things. Uh, I love that example that you gave. So thanks for sharing it. What, what do you think as far as if, if like, in your position time with the amount of experience that you've had working with habitats, not just locally there in Athens, but uh, 
through the GIT program as well. What do you see as like, if you had to give some advice to them as far as like how they could be more innovative or, uh, you know, expand their vision, that sort of thing. What, what do you, what do you see as the, the big need there to, to build our habitats, to be those kind of change agents in their community? You know, I, um, I think data is, is pretty important. You know, the, the limited amount of data that I've, that I've pulled together just for just for Athens and knowing what the knowing what the the need is you know from a from a financial standpoint what the need for housing is and what affordability is people not very many people understand really what affordable housing is about and the other is to to look look at your community you know one one thing that we uh that we learned was that the members of the gig teams, the community members, uh, they knew their community, but but they hadn't seen the sores. You know, uh, you take a you take a tour of your community, and you look at you look at all the streets, not just the ones close to where you live. Then you really see your community. And I, and I think if you if you see the need, and you can see some potential possibility then I think the vision comes, you know, and I think the commitment comes as well. Right. See, that's, that's so powerful. Um, I know that was my experience, at least when I got into the affordable housing spaces, seeing the need firsthand here in Columbus. Um, and I, you, you said at the, the beginning of your answer there about data and the importance of gathering it. And I, I love that in just a few minutes ago, you were mentioning about how, you know, this is, you guys know, how many jobs there are that are available and what those jobs are paying. I mean, that's, that's pretty specific data to get into, right? Yeah. And it's not hard to get to, you know, the Department of Labor has this for every, every community. Right. Well, and even, I mean, I know one of the things I've seen, you know, with the housing demographic research Institute, you know, you can also get the GIS maps now, right. And you can literally, you can see the income by household. You can, you know, look at whole sections of the city and get down to house by house conditions, which I think is really remarkable. And it, I mean, it sounds like you guys have done that in Athens and done so with great success. We've, we've identified uh, communities that we're trying to, trying to focus on and we've had some success. It takes a long time. You have to be patient. You know, it's not something you're going to pull off in five years. It took us 50 years to get there, it's not going to come out in five, you know, but you bite, you bite one bit at the time. And what we find is that once a community starts turning, then uh, it's not just Habitat and other social organizations. In our case, uh, Athens Land Bank uh, is a or land trust, I guess, is, is very active in housing too. And Habitat and the land bank move into a community. Eventually, uh, private investment's going to come. So, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not good because it can raise the prices uh, and and force some people out. And what happens occasionally is that students start moving in, and that's not necessarily compatible with our our low income housing residents. Yeah, that's um. 
hearing you say that, it reminds me of something that uh, Lisa Gordon in Atlanta was telling me that they've, they've dealt with that a lot because they go into these distressed communities, buy out properties, you know, either rehab them or tear them down, build new stuff. And she actually told me there, believe it or not, and you probably believe this 100%, there are investors who literally will look at where Habitat is building in different cities. Like they'll, you know, where we pull our building permits and stuff like that and actually use that to say, okay, this is a pro- this is an area that I need to start looking at. You know what I mean? And, I, I don't doubt that a bit. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like what you said there. It's, I mean, on the one hand, it's flattering, like, great. That means we're making a difference, you know, when that private investment wants to come in. Although on the other hand, you know, maybe it's not exactly what we're, <laughs> we would have been hoping for. Um, well, if it drives up prices and it drives up taxes, then it's certainly not what we're looking for. Exactly. Yeah, it can be uh, counterproductive. Um, so, you know, going forward, Tom, I mean, it's it's just really interesting. I, I have to say, what what are your you, – you sent me an article last week, which I thought was great because I, when I got that article, I said this is why I want to talk to Tom is because you're, I think you're one of those guys who always has his finger on the pulse of things. And you're you're constantly learning about things, and I'm curious to know where where do you kind of see housing here in Georgia right now? Like where where would you say it is at this point? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Where, where do you think uh, think things are? Uh, it's hard. I don't keep I don't keep up, Ryan, statewide like I used to. Um, so most of my knowledge is in Athens, uh, in our. Our big issue in Athens is uh, what we call kitty condos. We have so many apartment complexes in Athens that that uh, are built for students. And, uh, you know, we've got some that's been here for 20 years. And eventually they, they uh, start wearing out. And what do we do with, uh, with an apartment that's four bedrooms and four tiny bathrooms and a small living area and a small kitchen, you know, that's not exactly compatible with the needs of most people that are looking for affordable housing. So that that's one of our issues. And the other issue is affordability. You know, it's just as many people as we have that are, that work in hospitality and work in other uh, jobs that are related to that, that are just above minimum wage. Uh, there's just nothing for them, you know, beyond, beyond something like Habitat or Athens Land Trust, or, uh, there's just nothing that's affordable that, that is at all decent. And you, 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 when you start doing the home visits and you, (laughs) you're in the home with the potential Habitat homeowners and you hear their stories, it, uh, it just breaks your heart, you know, the, Sometimes the landlords take advantage of them and uh, don't respond to them with repairs, and uh, they just have to deal with deplorable uh, situations. And that, so quality, quality, affordable housing is. I, I I don't have any doubt that that's that's the issue for the whole state, for Atlanta, for the, the most rural community in Georgia. Uh, there, every community has people that are not poorly paid, but paid just above the minimum wage, uh, really trying to just get by 
you know. Uh, so, and having affordable housing available, I, I think is an issue everywhere in our state. Wow, yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, you, you might find this interesting. This kind of leads into another question I wanted to ask you. Was I, I was at a, um, a conference uh, recently for the Georgia Chamber of Commerce called the Future of Georgia Summit. And as you can imagine, it was largely about, you know, directed at the business community and how, you know, we're, we're very proud of the fact that Georgia's been ranked number one state to do business for so many years and, you know, love that we have new businesses coming in. But um, I was having a conversation with my uh, board chairman about this, who was also there. And he made mention of the fact that, you know, housing was not on the topic, you know, on the slate. And he said, you know, we've got to get housing on here because what good is bringing all these businesses in when they can't find people who can work locally or they're not paying what people can afford to even live locally? You know what I mean? Um, It it seems like we've got some really great things going on, but we still we've got to get this matter of housing addressed. Right. We need we need to get the education out there. I I attended a, a, a community meeting here in Athens focused on supposedly focused on affordable housing and uh i'll never forget they had a panel and they i guess because of the crowd they said you can ask one question one that's our ground rules one question so i asked what about the hospitality workers you know and uh they make this and the average uh apartment in athens costs this and there's a wide gap what what do we do about that you know and there are ten thousand of them and a the county commissioner said, well, probably most of them live in Oglethorpe County. Well, Oglethorpe County's total population is not but 14,000. You know, that's that's not, you know, that I think that's an example of the fact that we haven't done a very good job of educating our leaders and certainly our general public in the importance of affordable housing and the need for it. Yeah, so that, that's exactly where I was thinking. I mean, and I think I'd, and it's it's funny to hear you say because I feel like Athens is is very much a pioneer in the, in the, the matter of public advocacy. Of course, with Spencer's role, you know, being in the Georgia House of Representatives, but it still seems like we we have such a long way to go, right? And you know, I think you would very much agree with this. I mean, at, at Habitat, we have to start making this matter of educating the public and really advocating for housing affordability and what that means. That, that needs to be at the forefront of our discussions, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly does. And and we need, you know, the other thing is habitat work is frustrating because it's it's not quick. You know, you, you've got you've to raise the money to, uh, to, to build a house, you know, and, and you can only do so much of that in, in a community. And the community that I helped dissolve the Waynesboro uh, had been had been pretty successful for a number of years and then they started having more and more difficulty raising enough money to do the houses and they got frustrated and, and really gave up and I don't I don't have any solution to that but I wish there was some way that we could we could build houses more quickly or raise the money more quickly or the need need is certainly there it, it it undeniably is and I, I will let you know just as a word of encouragement um that is one thing we're working on at habitat georgia is putting some financing mechanisms in there to to be able to more quickly deploy the houses 
because it, like you said, it is a slow work and it's, it's slow to the point where sometimes, and, and let me know if you'd agree with this or not, but I almost feel like it's very easy for the community to forget about housing because it is kind of slow, right? Like, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that if you're not living in it every day, I mean, you talked about seeing the need produces the vision. You know, if you're not seeing the need every day and you're not being made aware of the fact that, hey, there's no place for these people to live in our community. And, you know, if, if that's not right in your face, you miss it, right? And, um, you know, I can't help but think, as you're saying about raising the money, you know, that seems like one of these great opportunities for an affiliate would be to do what you have suggested, gather the data. And when you go to potential donors and, you know, the city or whoever it is, you can sit down and say to them, hey, in my community, you know, the average wage is this, which means you can only afford a house of this amount, but the average rent is this. There's a disconnect, you know, and then help people to see that there is this tremendous need and it's not going to be quick, but it's still persistent and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and the demand, you know, we need to, need to also have an indication of, of what the demand is. When I was with the housing demographic research center, we, we got, uh, I think we had two contracts, uh, one with the uh, department of industry and trade. And then another, I can't remember who the funder was for it, but we went in to, businesses to corporations and the most telling ones were were uh, poultry processing plants and and so we knew what their income was and we in, we'd interview them and ask them you know about if they had interest in housing and what do they want would they would like to rent would they like to buy and if they did like to buy what kind of housing are they interested in doing and and you get some good data that way and it's pretty easy to do in the workplace and if you have some you have developers that have that knowledge or you have a community that has that knowledge then you can you can make some progress and you know the demand is there so it takes some of the risk away from you well that's, that's so funny to hear you share that story because i believe it or not in, in my years here at habitat i've had a lot of affiliates who have said to me we, we we're having trouble finding qualified home buyers you know the, 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 there's just not folks who are qualified and one of the best suggestions I've ever heard, and I think is, is basically what you just said, there's so much opportunity here, is go to local employers that you know are only paying X amount per hour, right? And you know their employees there are making the money to qualify. And then, you know, reach out to those employers, see if they'll contribute, see if they'll put you in contact with, you know, maybe let you speak at a staff meeting or something like that. Um, so that's funny for me to hear you tell that story about the, the poultry plants. And you know, Ryan, every community has those. Right. You know, a school system, no matter how small, has mm -hmm. paraprofessionals, lunchroom workers, school right. bus drivers. Every hospital has sanitation workers. Have you know people that exactly that don't that are work what I consider to be working poor, but good, mm -hmm. hardworking people. Uh, right. So it doesn't matter about the size of the community. Any community can can find out can find deserving qualified people for for habitat housing you're not absolutely right and that's, your examples there are perfect i mean every community in georgia has a school system <laughs> um i'm not sure that everyone has a hospital but we know that every one of them probably has at least a clinic of some sort absolutely and, you know and and they have some sort of trash collection procedures um you know so i think that's 
I love that you just gave those examples. I hope some affiliates listening to this will uh, steal those and put them to good use. Um, so Tom, just in closing, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time. And I just, man, I've really enjoyed talking to you. What, what are some kind of parting thoughts that you would have for affiliates, you know, as far as whether it's related to vision or leadership or uh, need or anything, what, what are some parting thoughts that you might like to pass on to an affiliate listening? My my part parting thought would be with habitat. I was I was fortunate enough to uh, I didn't know Millard Fuller, but I was fortunate enough to be around him on two or three different occasions. And you know his old basic philosophy of every person deserves a safe, decent, affordable place to live, and he followed that up with, and the resources are there. We just need to dedicate the resources to the need. And, you know, that uh, being, being involved in Habitat uh, is probably the, the thing I'm most proud of uh, during my lifetime. Wow. Well, Tom, I, I can't thank you enough for that. I mean, because we're... I think really proud to have you as part of the Habitat family. Um, you know, you're, you, you've done some amazing work here in the state of Georgia. And uh, I mean, we definitely, I think it's fair to say not just Athens Habitat, but really all of the affiliates in, in Georgia wouldn't be where we are today without the work that you've been doing. So, um, you know, thank you for the time that you've given to us and, you know, for your willingness to come here and impart your wisdom today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Do all anything right. for Habitat. <laughs> well, you certainly have. And, and Tom, I wish you well. Have fun with your grandkids and uh, keep enjoying your retirement, my friend. Right. Thanks, Ryan.